<coughs> for this for this morning service allow me to read verses out of John chapter 4 John chapter 4 starting in the beginning You have to excuse me I'm fighting a little bit of a cold so I might be coughing <clears throat> John 4, starting at verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There, come, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For the disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest, me of, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of, the wa of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came the disciples and marveled that he talked to the woman. 
Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou to her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. <coughs> Say not ye that yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are, or, they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I'd like to conclude here. That up here I noticed that Brother Phil opened the doors to the outside to allow some fresh air to come in. And it brought me back to memories of my grandparents telling me how in their times things were so different. Instead of opening doors, they were not able to gather together freely. They had to often gather in a basement, gather in the woods, or gather in homes and keep it more hush-hush because the government was not allowed to find out what was happening. And what a blessing it really is that we are able to open our doors and that we don't have to worry about this service to be interrupted. We don't have to worry about authorities coming in and making an end to this. What a difference it is, especially when we, we, we most of us, we have relatives that, know, that we know have gone through this. And what a privilege that we have here in this country where we can gather freely and look into God's word whenever we feel that need and not have to worry about any, anything from outside to come in. And yet it's very interesting that when we look at the older generations, how effective they were in witnessing, even in those moments where they were not really able to freely speak to people about Christ, yet they had such an effectiveness when it came to witnessing that we have to, we can't help but look at them sometimes and see what have they done that we might not be doing. Today we have every freedom that we can imagine, and yet I dare to say that our witnessing skills may not be as strong as they used to be in our forefathers. Which brings us to this text, because I've been thinking about this text for a while, 
mainly, actually every single sermon that I feel inspired to preach on, every single scripture I feel inspired to preach on, applies to me first. There's always a lesson in there that I, need, I know I need to learn. And I know that's the only way that I can then relay the message to the crowd sitting in front of me. So this message, too, is definitely talking to me directly, to me first. And I hope that I will be able to get a few points across that the Lord has put on my mind, that the Lord has put in my heart, that we'll be able to walk away from being strengthened, encouraged, that we will try to witness to the people around us in a more effective way. I don't have a formula. I don't have the answers. The only thing I have is that I trust in God that this morning He will talk to us. It's a very familiar passage. Most of us would almost be able to recite it. We have heard it in Sunday school for those that grew up in our circles. And if not, then we have definitely heard it quite often preached from the pulpit. The woman from Samaria that meets Christ, Christ reveals himself to her. And what an effect that really had on her life. There's a few interesting points that are worth mentioning. And I have never been to Israel, but I was told that for Christ to walk from Judea to Galilee, he had to, the Bible even says, had to walk through Samaria. And we know that back then already in, those genera- in that generation, Christ was frowned upon by the Pharisees and Sadducees because he was not the follower of rules like they were expecting him to be, but that he would sometimes think a little outside the box. He would do things that maybe others wouldn't dare to do. For example, here we read that instead of doing what a regular Jew would do to avoid any kind of contact with Samaritans, they would cross the Jordan, go into the desert, walk north, and then cross the Jordan River again to come back in to go to Galilee. Yet Christ did not do that. Christ decided to walk through the land of the Samaritans. I think sometimes we also shy away from those that might maybe without God, where we'd rather avoid them than to have conflict. We'd rather avoid them than have to answer questions that we might not even have the answer to. And it makes us sometimes feel uneasy, unprepared. So we avoid. Yet Christ shows us in this example that we cannot be afraid because a simple little thing that he did here, and it started out so simple, he looks at the woman and asks her, for, asks her for water. A simple thing, something physical that every single human being on this earth can relate to. He didn't go and sit there at the well, waited for her to come so he could give her some high philosophical or theological theory. No. He started it out in a very simple way and just asked her for water. And I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I can sense the love of God. I can sense the love of Christ. Not once can I say that was he condescending to her. Not once did he talk to her in a judgmental way. Yes, he pointed out her flaws. He pointed out that, yeah, she said truly that she had no husband because she had five. But the way the, way the writer worded it, you can sense the love of Christ in it. The gentleness that we know about our Lord. The gentleness that we can't help but respond to 
because it's not judgmental, it's not pointing fingers at us, that you need to do this, you need to do that. No. He points out our flaws, but then also allows us to come close to him. Another interesting thing I find in this passage is that this woman, we can read, came to draw water at noon. It says that she came at the sixth hour, which would be noon. And it's interesting. This woman obviously realized what kind of a life she's living. She obviously realized that in society she was not someone that people would want to spend time with. And most women in those in those areas would go and draw water in the mornings before the big heat of the day or in the evening once the sun is about to set. So this woman, we can assume, came to the well at noon to avoid the crowds. She came there so she could be alone, so she would not be confronted, so people would not, she wouldn't see groups gossiping about her, talking about her but that she would be left alone in her own misery so that she could come draw the water that she needed. And she had no idea that from that moment on, from that day on, her life would be never the same again. That the moment Christ touched her, the moment Christ talked to her, it sparked an interest in her that she could not just shove away. She could not just brush it off. It was something that brought exactly what Christ says about it, that that water, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Yet another interesting thing I find is that the writer pointed out the woman comes with this bucket to fill up the water. I think it... Excuse me one second. It calls it a water pot, I believe. She comes with this water pot that we can imagine is sitting on the shoulder or on the head. It's a heavy clay pot that she has to fill with water to, to take back to the village. And the writer doesn't miss that little simple detail that the woman, once she spoke to Christ and recognized who he really is, left that water pot behind. It doesn't mean that this woman never had to drink again. And we all know that physically she needed water that same day still. But Christ in his wisdom was able to point out to her What really is important in life? She left her bucket behind because at that moment, to quench her physical thirst meant nothing anymore. She has met Messiah, the one that she has been waiting for. It wasn't a complete... She wasn't completely caught off guard at at the fact that he revealed himself because she was waiting for him. She was... Yeah, she was caught off guard because she wasn't expecting him to come to Samaria and sit at the well. But she had prepared her heart knowing that the Messiah will come. So there was this tiny little hope in her heart that one day that Messiah will come and he will tell us all things, he said, she says. How beautiful is it that Christ then reveals himself to her and says that he... that. 
I that speak unto thee am he. Simple words. And after everything that she said, he said, she couldn't help but put all the puzzle pieces together and realize that indeed he's more than a prophet. Indeed he is more than her father Jacob, forefather Jacob. Indeed he is the Messiah. And what does she do? We read that she, go, she leaves her water pot at the well and she goes back into the village, into, into the city, and she tells the men what she has seen. And the beautiful thing is we read in verse 39. This woman that lived an awful life, we would say, even in this society, touched by the love of Christ, and goes back into the city, and this is what we read in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. So this woman that was afraid of meeting people, was afraid of being around people. All those fears were taken away because at this point, it didn't matter any what people thought of her. What mattered is, I have met Christ and I need to tell the world that I have met him. So all those ugly feelings that you might have towards society, all the guilt and shame, no, more, no longer bothered her. But she went and she told others what Christ has done. And we read that because of that, many Samaritans believed. There once was a little girl. She came to church with her parents. And on the way home, it seemed like she paid attention to the sermon that day because on the way home, she asks mom, Mom, is it really true the preacher said that God is so big that he is way bigger than the world? And the mom, being proud of her daughter for listening, says, yeah, it's true. God is way bigger than this world. She's like, the preacher also said that we have to accept Christ, we have to accept God, and he's going to live in our heart. How can a God that is as big, that is bigger than the world, live in our heart? Wouldn't he have to shine through? And it made me think, could it be that the reason why I'm not as good of a witness is because that God that is greater than we can even imagine, who comes and lives in our heart, is supposed to, not supposed to, by law, we cannot figure, we cannot look at it any other way, but it has to shine through us. If that mighty God lives in our heart, we can't hide it. And if we are hiding it, it's because we're not fully letting him live in our heart, because we may think differently, we may think car carnally, we may still have things in our hearts that we hold on to that take away from the effectiveness of our witnessing. And how do we witness to people around us? Often we think that we need to witness by pulling them aside and we need, to, we need to tell them about Christ. And yes, as much as we know that that is true, we have to start way before that. We have to start our appearance, our conduct, our behavior, our, our speech can often be more of a witness than us pulling someone aside and teaching them about Christ. And we see even in the story that Christ didn't right away go and, t and, and tell this lady that I am Christ. No, he started out with a simple physical need. He caught her attention. He was able to talk about something with her that she could relate to. And in this conversation, we see that 
She could have chosen not to talk to him. He was a Jew. But it was engaging. It was interesting. She felt, she felt comfortable telling this man things. So, as I thought about this, I was thinking, how can I apply this to my life? What can I do besides watching how I speak, besides trying to hide on my appearance who I really am? What else can I do to be more effective, to be a witness to Christ? And what came to my mind is that I first of all have to realize that no matter who I speak to that is without Christ, I look at them as a beggar, I look at them as someone who is homeless, and I have to recognize that that was me, that I am really also a beggar, just saved by grace. I can't look down on them, I can't lecture them, I can't judge them, I can't point fingers, but I have to recognize that the level that you're at, that's where I am, with the difference that God has allowed me to become a child of His through His grace. I can't look at them like I'm so much better than you because I'm a Christian. I pray to God on a regular basis. I fast. I uphold all the rules and regulations of our denomination. No. It is way more than that. We have to recognize that those people have to be able to relate to us. We have to basically befriend them. And it can easily start out with a physical need. We know of people that thirst and hunger. We know of people that fight illnesses. And that is such an awesome ground where we can start building a friendship. Someone that is ill and we go and visit them, we talk to them about the illness. It is, in theory, so easy to turn that slow, ever so slowly and gently into them realizing that as much as they need physical help, that the full package would be also including the spiritual help. So my prayer is that we would all look at ourselves, not look at others, but look at ourselves and see in what way can I improve my life to be a better witness around me. Co-workers that I work with, people I go to school with, my neighbors, do they know who we really are? Or do we sometimes, just because it's more convenient, put the fact that we are followers of God in our back pocket and just use it whenever it's, whenever it's more convenient, when we know we're not going to be looked down upon, judged, even maybe to a point persecuted, where someone that might be without God gets a promotion, but because we refuse to, to do certain things because we refuse to lie because we don't do anything against God's will that we might not get further ahead in our company. We have to keep in mind what really, what really is important. And to me, I find it very important to recognize that this woman not taught in the scriptures nothing. Yet, what she had in her heart, the fact that she met Messiah, that she went back to the city and she told others, the effect of that is something I have to remember for the rest of my life. That this woman who never thought of herself as someone that would draw people to Christ, but just by telling people what Christ has done in her life, 
turned a city around and a city became Christ's followers. So my prayer to us, dear brother and sister, is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and point out those little things that we might have to put into place or things that we might have to fix, things that we might have to repent from so that we would become more effective in the Lord's vineyard. And my dear friend, allow me to say two words to you as well. See, this woman that came to the well, she came to fulfill her physical needs. She came to draw water. Once she recognized who she really was speaking to, she left the water bucket behind. This woman would not have been as effective as a witness if she would still have gone and filled a bucket of water, put it on her head or shoulder, and then walked back to the city. No, she recognized how important it was to separate the two. What I'm trying to say is, the Bible says that we can't serve two masters. You can't hold on to that bucket of burdens. You can't hold on to that bucket of your past and yet accept Christ. One or the other has to give. And the choice is in your hand today. Whether you take the bucket with you from the well today, or whether you leave the bucket behind, all the earthly needs are not important, and embrace Christ. The decision lies with you. May God bless us for today. Definitely thankful for the word this morning. I have many thoughts that I thought of as I was listening to the, to the sermon. I could maybe conclude with two of them. One of the thoughts was is that um, there are many amongst us um, in the, not the church, but in our community that are in great need. Um, people who are lonely, people are hurting, um, people who are, even their basic physical needs, um, whatever it might be, um, they're suffering. And they are an excellent opportunity for us to reach out to them, those that are suffering, and to reach out to them and offer them those basic physical needs, whether it be food or clothing, whether it be a kind word, whether it be some friendship. And through that, often we can lead them to God and lead them to a spiritual direction. So that's definitely an opportunity for each one of us to reach out to those type of people. And the second thought I had was, was an encouragement to your church that you would show love towards one another as a family. I think that as churches, if we show that love towards one another as a family, what is a greater attraction? What can, what can be a greater attraction to this world than to see a church in unity and in love? And dear ones, I would encourage you, as in all of us, that we would show that love towards each other and that those from without, our friends and those that visit, when they see that love towards our, each other, they will say, I too want to be part of that family. So our, my wish and prayer is that we would all pray for one another, that we would show that love for one another. Amen.